0: Yeah, as Billy just mentioned, for those of you who are, are new or visiting for the first time, um, my name Chad. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura. And also, as Billy um, mentioned, we just finished Ephesians chapter 4 last Sunday, and we'll be starting our Advent series next week. But in taking a break from our study in Ephesians and knowing for the past month or so I was given a freebie Sunday to preach on whatever I wanted. Yeah. Which is pretty cool, but it's actually really daunting. It is really daunting because you want to hear from the Lord. Like, you want to hear from God. What is it that you would have me preach on this morning? And in doing so... My heart was being stirred and my thoughts directed, and I believe that the Holy Spirit was confirming that I should preach on the need for revival. Yes. Because of the times in which we are living today, which is the title of this morning's sermon, The Revival We Need. So, would you join me in prayer? Father God in heaven, Who am I to stand before my brothers and sisters this morning, to stand before them and speak on such a topic? I confess before you and before them that I am the first who needs revival, who needs an awakening, and that this sermon is just as much for me as it is for anyone and yet holy spirit of god i ask that you would give us ears to hear what the spirit would say to the church awaken us awaken our affections quicken our minds soften our hearts and cause us to respond to the word of god this morning in jesus name amen All right, well, in setting the table this morning, it's important for us to understand what I mean by the revival we need. As I have been praying and thinking about the times in which we are living today, I have been troubled in spirit. I have been grieved. Why? Because we are living in uncertain times globally we are living in polarizing times nationally we are living in spiritually and morally declining times in and outside the church we are living in times when evil is called good And good is called evil. We are living in times when the love of many has grown cold. We are living in times when many are turning away from the faith. We are living in the end times. And I believe very close to the return of Christ. Yes. I believe that with all my heart and in reading scripture as it pertains to the end times there are so many instances in the bible where it says that in those days there will be more flagrant sins even within the church and a lot of deceptive teaching and people walking away from the faith You may remember when the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24, what will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. And then we read in First Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4, concerning the end times and the return of Christ. For you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon preg- a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, my brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. And although verse 4 says that this day should not surprise us like a thief in the night, I fear that some of us, and many of us in the church today, will be surprised. Due to our love for Jesus growing cold and also because the church is asleep, asleep in the light. This is what was said when Jesus taught the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And then Jesus said in Revelation 3, verses 1 through 3, to the angel of the church in Sardis right, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God remember therefore what you have received and heard hold it fast and repent but if you do not wake up I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you Ephesians 5 says to the people of our day, Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We need an awakening. We need to be awakened. And I believe there is only one answer for the times in which we are living. And the only hope of a lasting solution is historic, God-centered revival. But should we really be expecting revival? And where did that notion come from? Or should we be expecting the number of believers to dwindle until the coming of Christ? The gospel has advanced in the last 2,000 years in history mainly by great awakenings and also great declines. There will be seasons of remarkable awakening and there will be seasons of sad decline. The Bible teaches and church history confirms there will never be a time when the church is completely cold and ineffective. She rises with faith and passion and mission and she declines in church history. But there is never a time when there are not people who are red hot for God and pursuing His mission. So what's coming to America? Can we anticipate widespread spiritual revival? Or should we expect a deepening social degeneracy? Should we be expecting an awakening in America, i.e., a lot of non-believers repenting and coming back to God. History shows us that there is no exact prescription for revival. It's an act of the sovereign God. And we can't dictate what He should do and when He should do it. But we should be praying. We should be praying and asking that the Lord would send His showers of blessing upon our nation through revival i believe i believe with all my heart that the climate and culture in which we are living today is much like the climates of past when god moved in a big way bringing about a spiritual awakening that caused widespread revivals and i believe the time in which we are living is right it is right for a powerful move of god and a fresh outpouring of god's spirit personally i am sensing and i have been sensing for a while and i am believing that god is about to do something big for such a time as this i believe it with all my heart yes and i believe right now that god is raising up ordinary and even also influential people of our time to serve as a providential catalyst in spreading the gospel that i believe could be seeds gospel seeds of revival yet in believing this there's also the sober reality of the state of things in the world today and the spiritual climate of our nation in and outside of the church. Which brings me to the conclusion, there has to be revival. I am absolutely sure of that. There has to be revival. But many of you are probably wondering and also asking yourselves, what is revival? Brian Edwards, in his book Revival, gives a good description of revival. It goes like this. A true Holy Spirit revival is a remarkable increase in the spiritual life of a large number of God's people, accompanied by an awesome awareness of the presence of sin. With a passionate longing for holiness, and an unusual effectiveness in evangelism leading to the salvation of many unbelievers. This is what we so desperately need in the church and in the world today. This is what we should desire. This is what we should long for. This is what we should be praying for. Wouldn't you agree? if you have any sense of awareness as a Christian at all, you will know, you know that we need a revival. We need a revival individually, corporately as a church, and right across our land nationally. We need to see a revival. We ought to feel this dissatisfaction with the way things are in our homes with the way things are in our hearts with the way things are in the house of god with the way things are in the nation we should feel a sense of dissatisfaction martin lloyd jones said does it grieve you my friends that the name of God is being taken in vain and desecrated? Does it grieve you that we are living in a godless age? But we are living in such an age, and the main reason we should be praying about revival is that we are anxious to see God's name vindicated and His glory manifested. We should be anxious to see something happening that will arrest the nations, all the peoples, and cause them to stop and think again. When revival happens, it is visible. It's not just a quiet, subjective experience in the church. Things happen that make the world sit up and they take notice. This is what was so important to Lloyd-Jones. He felt almost overwhelmed by the corruption of the world and the weakness of the church and believed that the only hope was something stunning, something stunning. Now, in trying to describe revival, I am merely scratching the surface. What I want to do this morning is to get beyond descriptions to try to define what revival is in essence. But in saying this, it's also important to try to give some biblical and also some historical basis for it, and then bring it closer to home with what revival means for us personally. There are three ways that I want to answer the question. What is revival? First, what is revival biblically? The idea of revival originates in the the reality that on the one hand, God is the giver of all spiritual life. And then on the other hand, humans, even those who are born again, even those who are part of God's covenant family from time to time, drift into a kind of lifelessness and lethargy and backsliding and indifference, and, in we- and weakness. And when you put those two together, God as the giver of life, and man ever drifting towards lifelessness, what you get is the need for the hope of reviving, coming back to life, a fresh outpouring of God's life-giving spirit on his people. This is what revival is. Is so. For example, we read a prayer to God in Psalm eighty-six, six: "Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you?" Or Habakkuk three, two: "O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it." In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Or Psalm eighty eighteen, Give us life and we will call upon your name. And then alongside those passages about reviving, you read the history of Israel. And it's just one up and down after the other one king is wicked and God withholds his blessing or he sends judgment another king recovers godliness and there is a reviving there's an awakening of true worship for that season and up and down it goes and then when you turn to the new testament even though the period of time is really short between Jesus resurrection and the close of the new testament maybe about 40 years or so, we do get glimpses already of churches that were in need of reviving. I think the book of Hebrews was written to a church like that. You hear it in Hebrews 5.12. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Or Hebrews 12.12 lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint. So this is a church that is already drooping. It's already dragging. It has gotten tired already and it needs reviving. And this is what God does. This is what God does and and what He's done historically. He revives His church. God is faithful to His church. He is faithful to His name and He revives it. Which brings us to the second question. What is revival historically? In the history of the church, the term revival in its most biblical sense is meant a sovereign work of god in which the whole region of many churches many christians has been lifted out of a spiritual indifference and worldliness into a conviction of sin earnest desire for more of christ and his word boldness and witness purity of life lots of conversion joyful worship, renewed commitment to missions, you feel that God has moved here. And I want to share just a few stories in which God has moved historically as as a means to stir up our faith, to believe and to press in and pray for God to do something great for such a time as this. The first revival of historic significance in America was called the First Great Awakening that broke out in Northampton, Massachusetts from 1734 to 1743 where a young Jonathan Edwards was pastor. After months of fruitless labor, eventually 300 souls were converted in six months in a town of only 1,100 people. The news spread like wildfire and similar revivals broke out in over a hundred towns starting in Philadelphia in 1739, which ushered in the British evangelist George Whitfield, whose dramatic preaching was like striking a match, just striking a match to this already underway awakening. An estimated 80% of America's 900,000 colonists personally heard Whitfield preach, and many came to faith. It was the Welsh revival of 1905 that touched all classes and all ages. Newspapers kept tally as the churches swelled with new converts. Over a hundred thousand in one six-month period. In Cardiff, police reported a 60% d- decrease in drunkenness and, a 40 p- and 40% fewer people in jail uh, during the new year of 1905. Stocks of Welsh Bibles were sold out. And this is a classic. This story gets, I, I'm just undone with this story. Profanity was so diminished in the coal mines that the pit ponies that were dragging the coal carts in the tunnels did not understand their commands anymore. They did not understand their commands anymore and they actually stood still confused. That is like all time right there. Even children held their own meetings in their homes and in barns. Evan Roberts, who was a young man, He was influenced by these stories. And so he gathered a group of young people after coming home from seminary to seek God, sensing that he had lost his fire in seminary. Robert started a prayer group that grew and grew and became a nationwide movement, resulting in about 100,000 people being converted. And this triggered revivals in several other countries including America a few other faced during stories of revival five university students in 1806 devoted themselves to prayer twice a week by the Housac River they were pleading with God for an awakening of foreign missions that gave birth to the first foreign missionary leaving the shores of America and many others followed thereafter One thing I want the young people this morning to understand, God raised up and gave God-given burdens for revival in many young people. When you study church history revivals, God raised up young people. I want to encourage you young people, if God's given you a burden, press in, pray, call on the name of the Lord, and yet... It was in the Hebrides Islands of Scotland that two single, housebound ladies in their 80s prayed earnestly for revival. At the same time, in another part of their island, seven young men met regularly to prevail in prayer until revival broke. And then between 1949 and 1952, a widespread revival swept through the islands in answer to the prayers of God's people. It was in the late 1960s when Chuck Smith and his wife Kay were moved to pray for the hippies in Newport Beach. When Lonnie Frisbee came to faith and was instrumental as an evangelist in many many thousands coming to faith eventually becoming known as the jesus movement spreading primarily through north america europe and central america the jesus movement was the last powerful move of god in america and it's been almost over 40 years and what i mean by the last powerful move of god in america is when the Holy Spirit awakened and He awakened a generation of hippies in the 60s and they were convicted of their sin and many came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and it spread through our whole country and they were not only radically saved, they were radically transformed. And fruit, there was born fruit for years and years and years to come. And yet that was over 40 years ago. This should move us. This should move us as God's people all the more to be praying for revival, to be praying to God for an outpouring of His Holy Spirit. God, awaken us. God, cause us to pray for a great awakening. And yet, in looking at what what revival is biblically and also historically, we now, and most importantly, need to get beyond mere descriptions, to get beyond definitions, and even get beyond historical evidence and ask ourselves the question, what is revival personally? Let's read Isaiah 57 verse 15 and let's read it slowly and let it sink in. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So first of all, personal revival is a reaching high. It's a reaching high. And I want to read the first part of that verse again. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, and it says, I dwell in the high and holy place. Revival is a reaching high. Now, if you know anything about personal revival, you will know that revival often begins with an awesome sense of dissatisfaction with yourself. And it's only right that that should be our starting place with an awesome dissatisfaction with ourselves and then a desire to have a higher experience of the Christian life. Personal revival happens when we see God majestic in holiness and at the same time we see ourselves as disobedient dust. And in brokenness, repentance, and unspeakable joy and forgiveness, we are given a taste of the magnificence of God, a hunger for His holiness, a desire to see it more, and a desire to live it more. That's personal revival. And it comes from seeing God high and lifted up similar to Isaiah's encounter, seeing the Lord high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says, It was the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. And the seraphim, the angels, were covering their eyes and covering their feet, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the earth is filled with His glory. And the temple shook. And the presence of God filled the temple. And Isaiah said and cried out, I am ruined. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Surrounded with people of unclean lips. Then a seraphim grabbed a live coal from the altar And touched his lips with it. And the seraphim said, Your guilt is taken away. For your sins are atoned for. And then Isaiah heard the Lord, Who shall we send? Who shall go for us? And Isaiah in the presence of God said, Here I am Lord, send me may we have an encounter with god that is my prayer for all of us this morning that we would see god high and lifted up in all magnificence and glory and holiness and we'd recognize our own sin and our own brokenness and yet we'd be remembered that it was jesus who took our guilt away who atoned for our sin and we'd hear the lord say whom shall i who shall go for us whom shall i send And we would be a people that say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me to the nations. Send me to my neighbors. Send me to my workplace. Send me, Lord, to be your ambassador, to bring forth your gospel. Use me. Send me, O God. But before we can desire or even have a higher experience of the Christian life, we must first, as often has been preached down through the years, break up the fallow ground. What is it to break up the fallow ground? In agricultural terms, this is the ground that has become hardened. It has become calloused and coarse through a lack of rainfall and a lack of farming over the years. It's like concrete. It's rock hard. And if there's ever going to be any fruit that comes from it, that ground first of all needs to be broken up. So whether the farmer uses a pick or a plow or some other instrument, it has to be broken up. It's a very painstaking exercise. There's a lot of sweat, but it has to be done. Breaking up the fallow ground simply means brokenness brokenness if we are to experience revival in our lives and the first thing we must learn is that our wills must be broken to his will not my will but your will be done to be broken is the beginning of revival it is painful it is humbling but it's the only way Jesus cannot live in us fully and reveal himself through us until the proud self within us is broken. This simply means that the hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself, wants its own way, stands up for its rights, and seeks its own glory, at last bows its head to God's will. Admits its wrong, gives up its own way to Jesus, surrenders its rights, and discards its own glory that the Lord Jesus might have all and be all. In other words, it is a dying to self and self attitudes. That is the beginning of this reaching high that Hosea speaks of in the breaking up of fallow ground. Hosea says, sow for yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up the fallow ground, for it is time, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. From the breaking up of the fallow ground to this reaching high, though it is a given That we must be looking for something better in our Christian experience, we must also have a dissatisfaction with the status quo as it is now, which begins by the breaking up of fallow ground through brokenness. This reaching high that I believe God wants us to have is more than a reaching high for something better in our Christian experience. There must be a reaching high for God. A reaching high for God. A desire for Him and Him alone. You see, a desire for revival should ultimately be a desire for God. A greater knowledge of God. Personal revival comes when Christians are longing for God. And let me add again, for God alone. You see, revival is a desire for and the realization of the divine presence. A desire to be in the presence of God. A reaching high for the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Isaiah actually displayed this when he cried out in his powerful revival prayer in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. What was Isaiah doing? He was reaching high for God alone. He was reaching high for God Himself. What is personal revival? It is a reaching high, not just for a greater experience of the Christian life, not just for more blessing, but for God Himself. Now, that's what personal revival is, if there ever was a definition. A reaching high for nothing but God and Christ alone. Is that what we are looking for? And I ask myself that same question. Is that what I'm looking for? Do you have a desire for God above all things? For God himself. But there's a second thing that personal revival is. It's not just a reaching high It's a bowing low. It's a bowing low. Let's read Isaiah 57 verse 15 again. Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. That's where he dwells. God dwells in a high and holy place. But look, with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite, what is personal revival? A reaching high that is only attained by a bending low. Here's what God did in my mind and heart. He connected these two things. He married these two things. And this is the message. The reaching high can only be attained by the bending low. In the same way John the Baptist prayed, He must increase and I must decrease. May that be our prayer every single day, that Jesus must increase and i must decrease let me close by saying personal revival must precede widespread revival this reaching high for a greater experience this reaching high for god in greater knowledge this reaching high for god himself can only be attained by a bending low as we read in Isaiah 57, 15. Revival, awakening begins first in the personal experience of of individual Christians who have their hearts revived. Simply said, revival is first a lifestyle before it's an event. Revival is first a lifestyle before it's an event. And I just want to be honest before you. This is something God is doing in my life and has been doing in my life the last, let's just say, six, four or six months. The Holy Spirit has been awakening me. The Holy Spirit has been convicting me of compromise. I stand before you this morning as the first person to say before you, I have compromised. I have not listened to the Holy Spirit of God convicting me with things and I've just kind of thrown it under the carpet and now the Holy Spirit is finally getting a hold of me and waking me up and saying listen I love you listen to me I want to wake you up I want to revive you and this is coming from my heart to my brothers and sisters That that's what God the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. He wants to awaken us. He wants to revive us. And it's going to first come through brokenness. It's going to come through conviction of sin. It's going to come when we receive the conviction of sin and we repent and we turn from our sins and we turn to the living God. That's what he wants to do. Please don't let sin or the distractions of this world and the busyness of this world drown out the voice of God in your life. Jesus said, The Spirit blows where He wills. So let us press in and bend low in prayer, not only asking for widespread revival and awakening in our nation, but also personal awakening and revival in our lives. And I'd like us to close with Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church. Let's make this our own prayer this morning. I pray personal revival comes this morning, but make this your personal prayer each and every day until personal revival comes. There are few prayers in the Bible that will have a reviving challenging, awakening, renewing effect on us like Ephesians 3, where Paul prays like this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love is. May you, my brothers and sisters, experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I pray we all experience more of the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God in heaven, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself. Awaken us, oh God. Awaken us by your Holy Spirit. May we see you high and lifted up and at the same time as dust. And yet, God, we would know your love and your grace and your mercy that would bring us to repentance in times of refreshment. Oh God, visit us from heaven today. We need a visitation. Cause your people, cause me to respond to your truth and your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to encourage us this morning to respond to the Lord in worship, in communion, in prayer. Respond to the Lord with these carpets up front bow down bend low before a holy god receive reviving receive awakening come to communion and remembrance with thanksgiving the broken body of jesus and the blood he shed on behalf of our sin and come to my right and my left and receive prayer receive a fresh outpouring a fresh anointing a fresh baptism of his holy spirit let's respond now